Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't God good? Well, we have a new, uh, new addition to the church here. We got the Schuetz back there. They had a little baby boy, Luke. Let's give him a good hand. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to receive the offering. If the ushers could please help me. If you're giving cash, we'd like a receipt. Just slip your hand up one of these ushers and give you an offering envelope. And, hey, I really enjoy all these patriotic shirts. Way to go. So where's the rest of us? What happened to us? We don't love America? What's going on here? I mean, come on, Ray. Come on. <laughs> like you're in mourning. Well, way to go. I mean, I appreciate it. Of course, I looked in my closet to try to find red, white, and blue. This is the closest I could get is blue. So anyways, I should have thought ahead. But um, there's a way to give online. So let's take our offering in our hand. Let's pray over it. Lord, thank you so much for all your many blessings to us. Thank you for giving us the privilege of living in this great nation. Lord, just pray, God, that you um, bless that the gift that's received today, Lord, and Bless the ones that have give, are giving, Lord. We just pray, God, that even in the midst of all this stuff that's going on in our economy, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that your economy is not suffering at all. And we just pray, Lord, that you'll make a way that they'll have ways to increase financially, that they will have all sufficiency in everything, and they have an abundance to give to every good work. We just declare abundance over our finances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, men, pass the offering buckets. As you guys know, uh, it's the 4th of July uh, tomorrow, and we are celebrating the... It's kind of funny. Have you ever seen these shows where they, um, they go around and they ask the public questions about America? How many have ever seen one of those? Isn't that funny? What are we celebrating? Uh, we, uh, this is the North one over the South? You know, it's like... They never, I don't know, they probably just take the ones that are wrong and don't, I mean, there's probably some guy they, they interview that knows every detail of the, you know, the 4th of July, but they don't put him on there because they're trying to make a point. I understand that. I know how they work it. But it is, it is a, a alarming that there's that many people in America that don't know, have a clue what's happening and that this is a time where we celebrate um, our declaration of independence from Great Britain. And uh, we won't get into all the details about it. But one, one thing I'd like us to do before we uh, get into my message, I'd like us to pray for America. Would you guys help, uh, join with me? Can we all stand together? And uh, let's just pray. Pray for uh, our nation. You know, um, I, I listen to people, and people are pretty pessimistic about the future of America because of kind of the things that are happening and um, just the... The, some of the crazy, I, I mean crazy, I just saw a politician, a little excerpt from one, one of them who said, was talking about Roe uh, and uh, Roe versus uh, Roe and Wade, whatever, what do you call it? Yeah, Roe versus Wade. And they said, um, well, we need to make it legal for any person to have a, a legal abortion. I'm going, person, what is that supposed to mean, person? Um, women are the only ones that can have babies. But she was trying to make a political point about there could be anybody, you know, all of a sudden one day, you know, Steve could all of a sudden start getting a. <laughs> but God made them male and female. But I'm just saying that because of stuff like that, it, it's pretty unsettling that people would actually 
accept that as a legitimate idea. And, uh, and so that gets people disturbed, and it is alarming. But there's one thing that I always think about when I hear stuff like that. I think about if the church will pray, if the church will pray and be involved, because there is uh, this is a mountain of government that we need to be involved in. But if we'll pray, if we, that's the least we can do is pray that God will move in behalf of our nation. Amen? Amen. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this great nation. Thank you for the United States of America. We know that you founded this nation. And the people that were the instruments that you used, they dedicated this nation to you. And Lord, there is a, a Christian heritage, a Christian foundation that this nation was based on. And Lord, we just believe that the foundation will not be destroyed. And Lord, that what you have planned for this nation, because I believe, Lord, you have a plan for this nation, that it should be a light unto all the other nations and the joy of the earth. And I just pray, God, that we will fulfill, I declare we will fulfill our divine destiny. And Lord, I just pray, God, that you would intervene in every, uh, every politic situation, every amendment, every uh, bill that they're passing. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would intervene and everyone that does not honor you or honor your principles, Lord, I just pray they be defeated. And I pray, God, that you give us righteous leaders that have a heart after you that will do your will in the earth. And I just pray, God, that you're raising up men and women that have strong convictions that they will voice what you have said and they will, they will return to our foundations and bring this nation back to its uh, foundations. And I thank you, Lord, that this shall, we shall fulfill your your purpose in the earth, Lord. We just thank you, God. We believe for great things. We pray for our leaders, Lord, that you will cause them to have wisdom, even, even the ones that are kind of against you, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, that you will cause them, to, even though you, you, you had a donkey speak. And I just thank you, Lord, that the donkey anointing is rising on some of these leaders, Lord. And they're going to speak your way in your word, Lord. And I just thank you, God, for that blessing this nation. In the years ahead, we thank you for it, and we refuse to give it up in Jesus' name. And everybody agrees with that, say amen. 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 Praise God. All right, you may be seated. While we're talking about prayer, you want to say something? Sure. Stan always has something good to share. Look at this. We should, I should have had him pray. You don't, know, you don't know if you should say hi or salute him. <laughs> I just wanted to share, uh, I had two dreams, and I don't get spiritual dreams very often, but I had this dream right after the Supreme Court shot down uh, Roe versus Wade. So, and, I, and I didn't put it together. My wife did the next morning. So I had a dream, and in that dream, children began to surround me till there was a sea of children all around me, and they were rescued children. So when they, you know, Steve talks about all the dark clouds, but I see bright clouds. <laughs> so the next night I go to sleep, lay my head on the pillow, and I have another dream. And in that dream, I heard this, just this roaring in heaven. I could feel the heavens begin to shake, and I seen things falling from the heavens. 
And the verse came to me when Jesus sent out the 77 and they came back and they said, yes, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus said, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. So I want to, a year ago, about a year ago, before the Supreme Court shot down Roe versus Wade, there was a Saturday morning I got up, I had all kinds of stuff that I needed to do, but God messed with my day and he gave me this song. And I just, I'm not going to sing it, but I want to declare uh, the message because I call it the songs of the prophets. So the prophets have spoken over this land, that even from way back. You go back to Daniel. And there is prophecy that is hanging in the air over this nation. And it will come to pass. So this was a song of the prophets. And if you know me, I've always said, if there's one thing that happens in this nation, there would be such a great shift that this land would flourish. And that's when the heart's of the fathers return to their sons and their daughters. So come mothers, come daughters. Come fathers, come sons. Come to the waters, a new song to be sung. For the prophets have spoken, and their word cannot fail. They're tearing down the altars, the altars a bale. And there's a shift in the wind all across this land. For the times they are a changing. For there's a kingdom that's come built without human hands. And it's growing like a mountain till it covers the land. And the first institution, which is marriage, that was put into place. The one that these cultures try so hard to erase will again be established all across the land. For the hearts of the fathers coming back home again. Now the critic he says, oh, it'll never ever be, but I'm here to declare it's that year of jubilee for the unseen is eternal and the temporal cannot last for the times they are a-changing. That's the future for America. Man, praise God. Nuts. I shouldn't have let, I should have let him go after me. Now I got to follow that. Doggone it. Praise God. I got to get my motor revved up. Because <laughs> I was just going to do a little fireside chat. <laughs> on fire, yeah. Fireplace needs to catch me on fire. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to Acts chapter 2. You know, when I was thinking about America and the Independence Day, and uh, I, I was thinking about, um, you know, how uh, the founding fathers, how powerful they, um, 
they established this nation on Christian principles. You know, John Adams, who was the third president, was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He said that the, the principles upon which the founders established our union were the principles of Jesus Christ. How many ever read that? Ever seen that? Yeah, most people don't see that, but that's actually true. I mean, some people say, well, they were atheists, deists, but actually they were, uh, I mean, compared to today, they would be considered almost preachers. I mean, you compare them to today. Like even the most irreligious of the founding fathers were very religious, were very sympathetic religious people. I mean, like they say, Benjamin Franklin was very unreligious, but you look at his life and some of the things that he said, is, it's amazing. He called because they couldn't agree on certain things. He called the whole council to prayer and asked them to pray for, the, for our nation so that they could come into agreement and establish the Constitution. And so they were godly, either lovers of God, strong Christians, or they were certainly sympathetic toward Christianity and believed that Christianity was a good thing for our nation to be established upon. They didn't want this nation to be religious because they all came from countries where the state made you a certain religion. So they didn't want us to enforce a religion on people. In other words, if you were from England, you had to be a part of the Church of England. If you were from Norway, you had to be a part of the, of the uh, Lutheran Church. If you were from another country, you had to be a part of that religion. You were, you were like born into that religion. And, and so they didn't want America to be like that. They wanted America to be free. They wanted the citizens to be able to choose what religion they wanted to be or non-religious. They wanted that, them to have that freedom. And I'm a big, I'm a big lover of freedom. I, like, I don't like when governments or religious institutions become oppressive. I don't like that because what happens, it destroys people. And I don't want to wear these stories out, but I want to remind you once again that back in the early 90s, I started going to the USSR, to Russia and to Ukraine, mostly Ukraine. And I was so shocked by what I saw when I, when I went there. First of all, I thought I was in a third world country. I, I, they, they say that they're a superpower, but I thought I was in a third world country. And, but the biggest thing that struck me was the demeanor of the people that lived there. They were all depressed, downtrodden, cast down, because they lived in an oppressive environment. And, and they didn't flourish. You know, they say that America, like 96% of creativity and new inventions and, and uh, new things come out of America. You know, 90, I think it's 96%, something like that. And a lot of these countries, they've never invented anything. They just stole stuff and copied it. Because people that live in free societies are creative. They, they're free to think. They're, they're expressive. But, of course, there's a danger in that because they can go off the rails. Right? But that environment is, even though there's a danger in that, that environment is the best environment for people to grow up in. You know, I was reading through the Genesis chapter 1 through 3 today, or, or this week, and I was looking at how when God made everything, he made everything and he said it was good. This is good. This is good. The first time he said it's not good is when he said it's not good for man to be alone. But everything that he made, he, made, he called it good. And then he planted a garden. He called, that, he called the garden good. He put, and so what you see is God, a good God creating a good environment for people to live in. But then he gave people the freedom of choice 
And that, that's good. We, we don't think it's good because people, you know, I, I've listened to a lot of debates about why, uh, from people that say, well, if God's all powerful, why does God allow suffering? How many ever heard that argument? If God's all powerful, why? And a lot of people that are atheistic, they say, if God's all powerful and all God's loving, why does he allow suffering? And the answer, and people say, well, because, you know, a lot of these theologians will say, well, because he knows everything and he's got some great plan. I'm going, wait a second here. I mean, what God is guilty of is letting people have the freedom of choice. And, and what people did is they chose poorly. Right? And don't be too hard on Adam and Eve because you've chose poorly too. Right? We've all chose poorly. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we've all chosen poorly, but love gave us the freedom to choose. And that's a wonderful environment to be in. I mean, my wife here, we're married, and, and wouldn't it be terrible if she had to marry me? I don't know if I set myself up for some criticism there. Or not. It's an ugly job. Somebody's got to marry this fool. It's an ugly job. Somebody's got to do it. You. No, not me. Yeah, you got to do it. But it's so much more meaningful that she could have married anybody, but she picked me. And how lucky a woman she is. Right? But that freedom of choice, that, that is like... It's awesome to breathe the fresh air. And that's why people are trying to get here by the millions, because they want to breathe the fresh air of freedom. You know, at one time, America stood alone as a beacon of light to all the other nations because all the other nations were in oppressive situations. Now we've influenced all the pretty much almost all the nations of the earth. And so our light doesn't seem as bright because there's other lights that shine. But at one time, we were the sole shining light that has influenced the other nations of the world. And we're, there's, you know, bumpy things. We look at our past. There's bumpy things in our past. But there's also tremendous things in our past that we should be proud of. And I just, you know, like the first time I went to Ukraine and it was, uh, it's a long story, but um, we almost got arrested. And I mean, they have, you know, they came out of communism, but they, they have what they call stick men. I wanted to tell you about the stick men. One time we traveled from Odessa, Ukraine, to Crimea in a, to a town called Armanuts. Uh, the way I remember the name of the town is, Are You Nuts? That's what it sounded like, arm nuts. I thought, yeah, are you nuts? You have to be nuts to come here. You know, that's what I'm thinking. But, but, um, but I, I counted how many times we got stopped and our documents checked. It was 14 times from that, from Odessa to Armanots. So they have what they call stick men. They're men that stand on the side of the road and they stick their, they have a stick, a white stick with some reflective tape on it and if they stick that stick out to you got to stop and then they just check you and what is the purpose of it they just want you to know that big brother is you're under the thumb of big brother they just want you to know that and so they they live under that kind of oppression all the all the time and that's why it's not a very progressive country it was very it was very regressed regressed because of that and so we we grow up in this beautiful Christian environment or this, this environment that was inspired by Christianity. 
Because that's what it was. It was inspired by Christianity. And we don't realize how blessed we really are. But we are blessed. I just want you to know that. Now, that's not my sermon. That's just a little, hey, guys, get my motor going thing here. But I want you to think, I, I titled this message, A Culture That Empowers. A Culture That Empowers. And I, I believe that the church needs to be a culture, have a culture that empowers people to greatness. You know, last week, Yuri was talking about being a, how to raise a giant killer or something like that. And he says it takes a community of believers to raise a giant killer. And I really believe that because I believe cultures that empower call greatness out of people. Call greatness. Create an environment. Because in religious, uh, legalistic environment, what happens is that you're always under the thumb of somebody. They manipulate you by the threat of hell or they manipulate you, even though there is a real hell. But they manipulate you into obedience rather than calling greatness out of you. And I think that even though that correction is necessary, I don't think the whole thing should be correction. How many know what I mean? I mean, I believe that there's people, when they get into empowering environments, they can start breathing again. It's like America. They can start breathing again. They can start uh, uh, expressing what God placed inside of them. And that's really what we want. But, and so there, there's a, a culture that we, we are developing here at Destiny Church that I want to describe to you as we go through here, if I make it through this message uh, without getting sidetracked onto some other thing. But, uh, but cultures it, it produce a certain product. And so we need to be aware of cultures. See, when you walk into this building, you can sense an atmosphere. And if you any time you go into somebody's home and we're we're unconsciously sometimes aware of that. Sometimes we walk into like a certain environment. We go we, we like it. Sometimes we walk into a certain environment. We don't like it. You can you can drive through cities. Sometimes you can say there's an environment in this city. You can pick it up. It's like it seems oppressed. It seems a downtrodden. It seems uh, dis, like discouragement or oppression is here. You can go into another city. You could say this city seems uh, seems to be ha have a certain amount of of, of, of uplifting uh, environment, and you can do that in homes. I remember one time I heard this preacher. He was invited to go over to somebody's house, and he walked in. Him and his wife walked into the house, and they were just going there to uh, um, just to kind of a visit. And he walked in, and he looked at his wife, and he goes, and, and they had, they had greeted him, and then they went away. And he looked at his wife and he says, angry words have been spoken here. And she goes, I get the same thing. And so they asked the couple and they say, yeah, we just had a great big fight. And we've been fighting a lot lately. And so they, because of how they were interacting with each other, they were affecting the culture of their home. And that's so important because culture is something that you can't necessarily say, well, the walls are the wrong color. The furniture is outdated. You can't necessarily say it. it's something in the atmosphere, it's something in the environment. And it's, but we are acutely aware of it. And culture forms us or culture, in a sense, creates us. You know, it's like uh, I was going to one time illustrate this because I preached on this before. But I was going to take, um, what do they call that? Not silly putty, but um, that stuff, that clay. What is it called? Play-Doh, yeah. So Play-Doh, and so, but I can't ever, I've tried to, to do it with my grandkids, and I can't ever create anything that's worth looking at, so I thought I'd better not try. But, but anyways, what you, can, you take and you put pressure on it, and you try to make something, you try to form, and that's like culture. It's like invisible hands that 
uh, actually creates something. And every culture creates a product. Every culture creates a product. Some of those products are not good. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 3, it says, uh, where there's envy and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. See, there's a difference between people disagreeing and envy and strife. Just because you disagree doesn't mean there's envy and strife there. You know, it's all right to disagree. Just because you disagree doesn't mean there's envy, there's envy and strife there. I don't want you to get the impression that I'm create, trying to create a Pollyanna world where everything's beautiful in its own way. No, not everything's beautiful. Some things suck, right? Not everything's beautiful. I'm not trying to create a Pollyanna world, but what I'm trying to say is that we have to be conscious of the environment or the culture that we're creating. Cultures produce a certain product. Um, and so culture is strong is a very strong thing because it, it creates something, it produces something, it kicks out something. And so we have to be conscious of the culture. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 40, it says that Peter preached to them and warned them. This is verse 40, the Passion Translation. Warned them with these words. Be rescued from this wayward and perverse culture of the world. Be rescued from the wayward and perverse culture of the world, of this world. The Message Bible says it like this. Peter went on in, in this vein for a long time, urging them over and over. Get out while you can. This is the Message Bible. Get out while you can. Get out of the sick and stupid culture. So we all know about being saved from sin and getting ready for heaven, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about, these were converts to Christianity. They were the, the first converts that on the day of Pentecost after that Peter preached. They were not, he was not talking about being saved from sin. He was talking about a culture. He said, be saved from this evil, well, he called it, put, it, put the message back up there again. Uh, he called it, get out of this sick and stupid culture. Because the culture that he, he was, they were living in was the culture that crucified Jesus. I mean, they were people that said they were believers in God or lovers of God. But that culture, when God came down in a human form, that culture actually killed God. And that's a pretty serious negative culture, wouldn't you say? And so it's interesting that culture forms either by design or by default. In other words, you say, well, I don't know, we're not real. I don't know what our culture is. Well, you have a culture. It's either uh, created by design. In other words, you have thought about it and you are deliberate in pushing your values into that culture. It either forms by design or default. In other words, you're not doing anything, but it's, it's forming. And we have, a, we have a culture about ourselves. We have a culture in our home. We have a culture in this church. We have a culture in our uh, government. We have a culture in our businesses. There's cultures everywhere. And the ones that we're trying to develop is an empowering culture. You know, I, I thought about this one time. I used to fly a lot and travel a lot. And I used to always like to travel with Northwest Airlines. How many of you have heard of them? They're not around anymore. <laughs> But I, I mean, I was so impressed with Northwest Airlines that I all, almost 
wanted to buy stock in the airlines. I thought, this is a great airline. You go up to the gate there, you had to have a seat change or something. They're all like real perky and friendly. And yes, well, we'd love to do that for you. We're so glad that you're here. And then I don't know what happened, but I, I, I noticed that a shift in, in the people. And it was like, I'd walk up to the gate. I needed to change my seat. Well, everybody wants a different seat. You know, it's like, you know, it's, there was a totally different change in the employees. And I knew that this airline was in trouble. You know, I remember I, I, I listened to this investor and he said that, you know, a lot of investors, when they invest in a company, they look at the balance sheet, they look at all the uh, stats, and then they invest based on that. He goes, I don't ever do that. I goes, I, he goes, I look at the balance sheet, I look at the numbers, but then he goes, I go to the company and I interview, I talk to the, I walk around and talk to the employees. Because I know that if the culture of this company is bad, this company is, is doomed to not be very good. And so culture is so important because it, it, it creates a certain product. Kevin Leal said this. I, don't, I, I say it just to shock you. I don't know if it's true, but I'm, I'm going to give it anyways. He said, culture is stronger than the anointing. That's a pretty bold statement, but he said it, and so I don't know. But I, I say it so because it is kind of shocking. Culture is so powerful that you will do almost anything that the culture says once it's been formed, once you've been formed by it. Culture is so powerful that you will do almost anything the culture says once you've been formed by it. And you've heard me say this before, but culture is the reason there are suicide bombers. I mean, just think about that. What, you know, like, would you do this? Would you put bombs on yourself? Cover yourself up, walk into a crowded room and go push a button. Would you do that? I mean, are you kidding me? I would never do that. That's because I was raised in this culture. Right? If I was raised in a different culture, you'd never know. I still wouldn't do it. Years ago, you know, there's a saying that says, uh, talks about drinking the Kool-Aid. How many have heard that expression? Oh, uh, they drink the Kool-Aid. You know where that came from? Came from Jim Jones. I think it's Jim Jones, right? In his uh, cult in Guyana, where he convinced almost a thousand of his followers to drink Sinai-laced Kool-Aid. Now, just think about that. Even parents were giving it to their kids. Now, would you do that? I mean, I mean, I'm sitting there going, here, kid, have some. You know, I mean, I just think, what is going on here? Don't you think that sometimes? What is going on here? We don't do crazy around here. That's, how you, that's what you want to say. But basically what it is, it's the culture. They grew, up, they, they, were, uh, they grew up in a culture, and they were formed by the culture. You know, it's interesting. They did a test one time. How many are still with me? Are you guys got a picnic plan today? Okay. I heard this test one time where uh, people, uh, they got a bunch of people in a room, and they, everybody was on the same room. They, they were, they were going to do a test. And so everybody was on the same page. Everybody was like an actor. And so they had one guy that wasn't on the same page. He, he didn't know what was going on. So they had all these people, and the, the test was they drew two lines. One was shorter than the other one. And so they asked everybody, are the two lines, even though one was shorter than the other, are the two lines the same length? And so everybody in the room said, yep, the same length. 
You go around, yep, the same like. So they get to the guy that isn't on board with the scheme. He looks at it and goes, same length. He, and he knows it's not the same length. And so he hesitates, but finally he goes, yeah, they're the same length. He just fit in because the, we call it, you know what we call it? Peer pressure. Peer pressure. And th those things are very real. Amen. Those things are very real. And so culture is so powerful that once you've been formed by it, it's almost impossible not to, not to, get, out, to get out of it. Uh, <clears throat> and so I think one of the biggest examples of a dysfunctional situation is Lot. Many of us have heard the story of Lot, where Lot and Abraham separated. It says that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were very wicked. The Bible tells us that Lot's righteous soul was vexed every day by the wickedness of the people. He was vexed by it, but he didn't do anything about it. And, and so he, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And, uh, and so then it came time where God was going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he sent two angels there. And they clearly did not want to leave. They clearly didn't want to leave. And so finally what happened was the angels grabbed them and dragged them out of the city and said, go, get out of here. God's going to destroy this place. And then they said, don't look back. And so as they were fleeing, Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Amen. So she looked back not just to see what was happening, but she looked back lovingly or longingly because she loved that place. And the Bible tells us to remember Lot's wife. But here's the kind of the clincher to the story is that they ended up living in a cave, Lot living in a cave with his two daughters. And so one daughter says to the other daughter, hey, let's get our dad drunk and let's have sex with him. You go, what? I mean, how insane can you get? Well, you haven't lived in Sodom. You weren't formed by Sodom and Gomorrah. But if you lived in Sana, Sodom and Gomorrah, that would seem logical to you. That would seem reasonable to you because they were formed by the culture. How many can see what I'm saying? And so, so culture is defined by this one phrase. This is the way we do it here. And so it's very important that, we're, that we are in tune to the culture and what, what, um, what is happening around us. And, you know, I, I think about this sometimes, and I've said this before recently, about uh, your friends, because your friends help you make up uh, part of the culture. Um, so, I mean, the Bible, I mean, there's a saying that goes, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And there's two verses I want you to look at real quickly. Uh, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 real quickly. It says, Paul says, do not be deceived. Evil company or evil associations corrupt good habits or corrupt good morals. Evil associations corrupt good habits or good morals. And then the other one is Proverbs. It says, I think it's out there, Proverbs 13, 20. It says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. He that walks with wise men. So that saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Now, I, I believe that I believe in being lights in a world. I believe it's important that we, we're lights. I'm not talking about developing a, a sterilized environment where we can't 
associate with anybody that doesn't believe like us. But my point is that we should have a, a group or a, a, a bunch of people that are, are on the same page as us that are like are cheering us on to, to greatness. Because the early church, let me go back to that in Acts chapter 2 real quickly. Acts chapter 2 verse 42, this is what they did. When Peter said, save yourself from this untoward or this wicked, stupid society, this is what they did. It says they spent their time learning from the apostles. King James says, in the apostles' doctrine. They spent their time in the apostles' doctrine. They were like family to each other. I like that phrase. They were like family to each other. They also broke bread and they prayed together. They did these things. This is how they, they were changing their culture. They were adapting a new culture by the apostles' teaching. They were like family to each other. They were connecting uh, relationally to one another. They were connecting as friends. They were, they were uh, friends to each other. They broke bread together. That means they fellowshiped together and they prayed together. So they were creating a godly culture that they could live in. It wasn't that they weren't associating with people that weren't like them, but they had some place of refuge that they could run to. How many follow what I'm saying? And so so they were busy creating a new culture, a God-honoring culture, an empowering culture. See, God-honoring cultures are evident by what they produce. God-honoring cultures are not perfect environments. Sometimes in religion, we try to create a perfect environment where everybody's perfect. But what happens then is that you start hiding your faults. You walk into church, hi, how? You're almost like one of those dolls that have the string, you know, remember those years ago? Now we have everything's battery operated, but we pull the string, go, praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> how are you doing? Praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Are you guys doing okay? You both pull the string, hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. And, and that's what, when you try to create a completely perfect culture, what happens is you have people hiding things. And that's not an empowering culture. The early church created a wonderful environment based on their sacrifice, based on their commitment of love to each other, based on their friendship. And that culture produced miracles, signs, and wonders. Amen. That's why it's so important for us to be supportive of one another, even if we don't agree. How many know you're never going to agree with everybody? And, you know, that's what I, my big my big thing about religious institutions is that they pressure people to believe everything the same. You've got to believe like me, otherwise you're out. Well, wait a second here. What if you're wrong? I mean, I am not wrong, but maybe you, you might be wrong, right? <laughs> but that oppressiveness that we have to believe, everybody's got to believe the same or we can't associate with you, that is not a godly uh, perspective. So here's the thing, that where you are at and who you are with will ultimately, define, will ultimately define who you'll become. And so that's why you want to be around the right people. You want to be around the right people, people that cheer you on, people that cheer you on to grace. I'm going to end my message today with this story. Turn, turn over here to John chapter 5. I don't know if they put that one up there or not, but John chapter... So here's the thing about empowering cultures. Empowering cultures are life-giving. When you go to, into an empowering culture, you go, 
Wow, that was awesome. That was awesome. And empower, uh, empowering cultures are life-giving. They're restorative. If you're broken, if you're hurting, if you're struggling, they're restorative. You, you know, like David said, he restoreth my soul. Empowering cultures are restorative. They call out the potential that is within us. They call us to greatness. Because here's the thing. Your past is nothing compared to your future. Your past is nothing compared to your future. Your future is greater than your past. See, David's history was he was a shepherd boy, but his future was he was the king of Israel. Amen. Peter was a fisherman. That was his history. But his future was Peter was an apostle. With God, your future self is greater than your historic self. In other words, what you're going to be is so much greater than what you have been. What you're going to be is so much greater than what, you, than what you have been. And so you might look at your life and say, my life is, in, you know, I use the term in the toilet. But it, no matter where your life is, there is a future God has for you. You know, here's a story in John chapter 5. Take that verse down. I was, I was going to read some other verses first. Thank you. So, so let me read this. John chapter 5, verses 2 through 7 says, Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, and these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whosoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had been there at infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? Now that's kind of a dumb question, don't you think? But sometimes people get, get stuck in a situation. So Jesus goes, do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. So this man was in a very hopeless situation. He was living with a hopeless group of people. Amen. He was hopeless, and the environment or the situation that he was involved in was totally hopeless. I mean, I try sometimes when I read scripture, I try to picture what that was like. So I try to picture there's five porches like they had coverings and there's all full of all these people, maybe hundreds, maybe more. It says multitude, so that could be thousands. And I, I imagine there are people there are moaning and there are people there that are travailing because they, they're in pain or they're in suffering, right? I mean, try to imagine that. And they're all looking, their directions, they're not looking all around, they're looking at one thing. They're looking at that pool and they're waiting for the water to stir and they're going to step into that pool. The first one steps in gets healed. And so they're all waiting there. And so when the water starts moving, all of a sudden there's a gasp among all the people and then somebody steps in and they're going, woo! And then everybody's, oh, because they didn't make it. Somebody made it before them. That's, the, that's kind of what I imagine that situation to be, to be. And so 
Jesus is, gawks up to this man who's in this situation. And he says to him, basically, it's not just do you want to get well, because his sickness has debilitated his life, has defined him, has kept him in his situation. I mean, it's not just a sickness. It is, it is a way of life. He's stuck there by that pool. That's his only hope. And so when Jesus said, do you want to get well? What he's saying is, do you want to walk into a new future? Do you want to go into a new life? Do you want your life to totally radically change? Do you want something to shift and something to change from this day forward for the rest of your life? That's what he's saying. But it's interesting. And instead of saying yes, he starts to explain and to blame. Those two things. He starts to explain and to blame. He explains his history. His history is filled with pain. His history is filled with suffering. His history is filled with frustration, inability, hurt, disappointment. That's his history. He starts saying, I've been here for a long time. I've, I have been so disappointed over my life. I have been, I've suffered so much. And Jesus is saying, do you want to walk into a new day? Do you want to go from here and do you want to step into a new dimension of life? Do you want it to be like this or do you want to go forward? That's what he's asking him. He's not just asking him if you want to get well. The second thing this man did was he blamed others. He says, I could get out of this situation, but someone is always in my way. And, you know, if you listen to people talk, when they're in a situation, it's always some condition in their past or some person that has gotten into their way that keeps them from moving forward. And Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, you've had a tough life. You've really had it rough. Even though I don't think that would be a bad thing to say. Or he, or he didn't say, yeah, people are cruel. People can be cruel. He didn't say that either. Here's what he said. Now read, put that verse up there. Jesus told the man, I like this. Get ready. Ready? Are you ready? Get up! <laughs> I like that. Doesn't that just, that could preach, couldn't it? If you guys weren't going to a picnic right now, you, you'd want me to preach that. Get up! Right? Get up! Wow, that's powerful. Get up! Not only get up, but pick up your cot and walk. In other words, don't stay here no longer. I'm giving you a new life. I'm giving you a new future. Historically, he can't get up. It's impossible. But Jesus is calling him to a new future filled with possibilities. Historically, he can't get up. But Jesus is intervening in his history and calling him to a new future. Get up. Pick up. It is more than a healing. It's a new life with unbelievable possibilities. Pick up, get up. See, the, thing, the reason he told him to pick up his cot was this was the symbol of his confinement. This is the, a picture of your history. This, is, this was your past life, but now it's, it's going to be your testimony. And walk, leave the cultures. He, he didn't say stay here. He said leave this culture. Leave this culture. Get out of here. You're not, you're not, walk into a new future. Walk into a culture of impossibilities, or I should say of possibilities. Walk into a new day 
with new things. Now is the, now is the time. Let's all stand together. See, I believe America has a great future because of the church. I heard a lady say one time, she said, I love listening to personal prophecy because because it helps me see people as God sees them, not as they are. I thought that's, that's powerful. Because God sees people differently. How many know that he sees people differently than you? We just get aggravated. You're getting on my last nerve. But God's over there going, saying, because I've had, you know, we've had people that prophesy here a lot, prophesy over people. And, you know, like, I know the people. I, I, I have the advantage. I know these people. And when, they, when they're going to get a word, I'm thinking, boy, I got, I got a word for them. You know what I mean? And another thing, and another thing, and another you know, that, That's my word. But then all of a sudden, they'll give them a word, and I'm going, what? And, I, and it took me a long time to adjust to see, I'm looking at them in their history. But God is calling them into a future. Isn't that powerful? God is calling them into a future. And when Jesus comes to us, you know, we can be in situations. Jesus comes to us. We might be in these environments that are so broken. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people grow up in broken environments. Dysfunction. Mom and dad were half crazy. I mean, I don't want to pick on mom and dad because I am a mom and dad, you know. But and I know it's not easy, but I mean, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, it's like, I always say this, this, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I don't drink alcohol at all. And there's a lot of reasons why, but, but if, if someone says, here's one reason. If someone says my mom or my dad was an alcoholic, the next thing they're going to say is not going to be, and so my life was wonderful. That's not going to be the next thing out of their mouth. When they say my mom was an alcoholic or my dad was an alcoholic, and I'm not, I'm not degrading anybody, please, I understand. But, but the next thing out of their mouth is my life was tragic. And so that's your history, but that's not your future. And so I just, I want you to hear God's, an empowering culture calls people out. And I want to call you out this morning. I want to call you out. You say my history is, let's forget about that for a minute. You you don't understand that somebody got in my way. Let's forget about that right now for a moment here. It's not worth, he or she is not worth the future God has planned for you. It's not worth it. God's got a great future planned for you. And you wouldn't believe, if you respond to God's word, you wouldn't believe what God will do with your life. Five years from now, people will look at you and say, wow. Even a year from now, people look at your life and say, wow, what happened to you? I got called out by the divine power of God. Amen? Let's bow our heads just for a moment. Can we sing? Do you have a song we could sing? Let's sing this song, then I'll pray.
atmosphere is changing now for the spirit of the Lord is here the evidence is all around that the spirit of the Lord let's sing that out again the atmosphere Atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. For the Spirit of the You're the reason 
Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I feel this authority coming into this room. I feel it all over me. Hallelujah. To break off bondages, break off things that hold people back, things that def have defined people in the past, have kept them in bondage. And so, Lord, right now, I just want you to just open your hands up, everybody. Just open up your your open your hands up like you're about ready to receive something from the Lord. Right now, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, hallelujah, I just take authority over every bondage, every bondage, every sickness, every disease, every torment, every debilitating emotion right now, every debilitating thought right now. I come against you by the authority of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. I command you to let God's people go. Let freedom come to their mind. Let freedom come to their emotions. We cut off their past right now. Every tether, every chain from their past right now. We cut it off and we break it off of your life right now. In the name of Jesus, every word that was spoken that defines you in a picture other than what God defines you as. I break the power of those words right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right now in Jesus' name, I speak life over you. Life. Get up. Get up. Pick up. Walk in Jesus' name. Walk. Walk mentally. Walk emotionally into a new day. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Just thank God right now for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. God's good. Amen. Amen. Well, I felt that. I don't know if you guys did. Maybe it was for me. Steve's tomorrow's going to be bright. You know? Praise God. Hallelujah. I know sometimes, you know, I'm usually just a gentle Jesus guy, you know, but I was just sitting there and just, just this authority, this thing came over me. It's just so pissed off. I mean, the devil. I mean, it just makes me want to jump on something and beat it up. You know, that's, you know what I mean? She want, wants me to rip a tree up by the roots or something. You know, just bite the sheetrock off the walls, you know, or something, you know. So I don't think that's just natural. I think that's spiritual, you know. So I just released that over you. Amen. So this would be your day of independence. See how I started with independence? I worked that in there. I got that back. Amen. Praise God. Well, I'm going to give uh, the prayer counselors an opportunity to take another shot at you if you, if you need prayer about something else. So if the prayer counselors could come forward. These are wonderful people, and they'd be glad to pray for you if you have a need, any kind of a need physical need, uh, mental, emotional, you want them to agree with you about something, just as soon as I dismiss. It's, so been, it's been great being in church with you today. You're a great looking bunch of people. I say that backwards? Great looking bunch of people. Is that the right way to say that? Great looking bunch of people. Either way, it sounds right. But anyways, and I'd really pray you have an amazing 4th of July celebration and celebrate with your family, your friends, and just uh, always know this, that you can be a light no matter where you are. You know, someone says, well, my family's like an oak tree, just it never produced anything but a bunch of nuts. Hey, <laughs> nuts need help too. How many of that's true? 
Praise God. Well, God bless you all. We have some refreshments in the back. Please join us for some fellowship. But if you do need prayer, please come forward. God bless you. Have a great fourth.